Wheeling Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Welcome to episode 264 of the Stuck Mike Avcast. This is the first episode we're recording for the new year. Very excited. This episode is going to be for flight instructors and those who are considering becoming a flight instructor. You know, but instead of an episode about the technical details involving instructing, you know, we're going to discuss how you can have a successful flight instructing business. Uh, joining us for the discussion is our local CFIs, uh, Tom Frick, Bill English, and Russ Rosleski. Hey, guys. Uh, welcome to the Very new cool. year. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Carl. Hey, happy new year. Happy new year, everybody. Let's do the pre-flight. Before we begin, I uh, just want to say thanks to our sponsor uh, for the new year here. It's uh, PlainEnglishSim.com. Make sure you go visit them. You know what it is? It's an app-based aviation radio simulator, and it's a great way to gain radio proficiency, both VFR and IFR. And what they're going to do is they've reached out and asked if we could sponsor or they could sponsor some scholarships guides. So if you're interested in getting a scholarship to add ratings, maybe your CFI, maybe your double I, maybe your seaplane rating, use a coupon code plain English sim for the aviation podcast.com slash scholarships. And you might get one of those scholarships guides for free. They're putting about 10 of those out there. Uh, so uh, there are supplies that are limited, but they keep giving us more because they're just a w- wonderful people at plain English sim. And they want to see the aviation community really move forward. Uh, again, plain English sim.com use a coupon code plain English sim. When you go look at the scholarships, it's an easy way to find it too on stuckmikeavcast.com. Click on scholarships there. Now entering cruise flight. Well, like I said in the beginning, this topic actually was a great idea, and it was uh, one of our co-hosts here that came up with it. And uh, I'm going to let him kind of lead off the the reason why we're talking today. So, so Russ, this this was really awesome that you thought of this topic. So tell us a little bit as to you know why we're having this discussion today, and and what you, why you felt this is important, especially at this time. Well, you know, Carl, I've I've been out at the airport a whole lot more the last several months than than I ever was in the past. I actually kind of started a new business with uh, doing uh, focusing on multi-engine training, and as a result, I'm just out at the airport a ton, and you know, hanging out at the FBO and such between students or whatever, just chatting with with the uh, the CFIs there at the flight school and some of the you know students that are working on different ratings and that kind of stuff, and yeah. I just thought it would be a really good opportunity to kind of cover some of the things I've discussed with them and, and you know, some of the things that, that the, the four of us have, have learned throughout you know, our time as flight instructors and just helping folks that are looking to become flight instructors or maybe already are flight instructors but want to expand their business or you know, get new opportunities and that kind of thing and just, just share some of the, the things we've learned and, and hopefully help some people out. Yeah, and I think also another thing that we should discuss before we get started is why become a CFI, and that's a uh, something that we all internally look at is should I become a CFI part time, full time, etc. We're going to talk a little bit more about that, uh, but I think it's really important to impart knowledge, and if you're somebody that really is is just yearning to teach people, I think you should consider becoming a CFI, whether it's full-time or part-time. Uh, and Russ, uh, remind me again, Is now was the CFI, was that something you did so that you could uh, work part-time as a CFI, or were you planning on doing it full-time? Uh, it wasn't really either, actually. I mean, for me, I've always been a little bit of, uh, I don't know, what would you call it, a, a ratings collector or something like that. You know, I just like learning new things, and eventually I kind of ran out of reasonable ones to do. So, so you know, flight instructor was the, the obvious next step. And once I got done with that training, I mean, about a week later, the, the school that I uh, had trained at said, hey, 
you want to come and help us out some you know, on a part-time basis? I'm like, yeah, sure. It's got to be real part-time because I do have a full-time job. You know, and they said, that's fine. We understand. But you know, I really didn't expect I'd do more than just a little bit here and there kind of thing. But it's really, I mean, it's just blossomed just amazingly in, in the last, it's been eight years now. And I've been in aircraft I never thought I would ever have seen the inside of, you know. So it's just been amazing. And it's it's turned into, it still is a part-time job, but man, it's it's actually been, you know, pretty lucrative. We hear a lot of times about how, you know, flight instructors can't possibly make any money. Well, that's sometimes true if you're at the flight school making $15 an hour or something. But, you know, if you if you gradually work your way up and, you know, kind of expand your reputation and your clientele and that kind of thing, you can you can do all right. And I'm certainly happy with where it's taken me. You know, Russ, how about, I know it's lucrative and all for, for some people, many people, how about the enjoyability factor before we get into the actual discussion? Uh, do you like being a CFI? I do. It's it's fantastic. I mean, I, I get to fly. I get to teach people new things. Like I said before, I'm really focusing on multi-engine trading, and that's been just fantastic. You know, sh- you, know you get to show someone who's already an existing pilot, you know, what this second engine can do and what the good things are and the bad things and and just watching them you know just just grow as pilots and expand their their knowledge base is just it's amazing and it's wonderful and I'm really having a great time well, that's good to hear. I, and, you know, we all have our reasons for going towards it. And I do appreciate you bringing this up, this whole topic. Well, let's get started with the topic. So uh, I guess the, the first thing to figure out is, number one, how to get started as a new CFI. And, uh, and well, actually, Russ, I'll have you start this, this one. So, you know, how, how do you get started as a new CFI? Well, there, there's no secret you got to... We're not really going to talk too much about you know the training that goes into becoming a CFI. That's been done you know to death other places certainly, but you know the the real issue is okay. You're a flight instructor now. You just you know graduated from flight instructor school or whatever, right? You passed your check ride. Well, well, what now? You know what do you do? So you're a CFI. If the school you're at will hire you back on, great. Uh, that that is a you know a wonderful idea because here you are with you know zero hours of dual given you really you I mean you don't have any kind of a reputation out there you don't have a, a clientele you don't have people you're an unknown quantity right and so a lot of people will start out teaching at the local flight school and i think that's a that is really generally probably the best way to go because you see all this kind of different uh type of people coming in you know people with different motivation levels and and um you get to kind of build your uh, flight instructing skills, I guess you'd say, uh, in an environment where, well, you, you do have some support. <laughs> you know, you've got other flight instructors at the school. You can kind of see what they're doing, ask questions and that kind of thing. Uh, you probably have, you know, resources there. You uh, uh, Syllabus that's already made for you, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, phase checks or, you know, other instructors that do checks on your, on your students. And so you've got that kind of backing of, of that the new flight instructor really needs. Cause we don't have any idea, you know, when we first start out, what exactly to do. We just know, well, we had these good instructors and these bad instructors and we kind of try to combine them, but, uh, or not combine them, I guess that'd be a bad word. <laughs> use, use what we, uh, what we learned from each of our previous instructors. But as far as being a new instructor, man, it can be scary sometimes. And, you know, a lot of anxiety in there, too. So I think it's really good and probably the easiest way to get started out as a new CFI is just to find a flight school that needs you. If that's a place you trained at, great. Um, Not only is this probably the easiest way to get started, it's also the most obvious way, of course. Uh, Tom, did you have something in here? Yeah, I was just listening. Um, I, I, I was uh, appreciative of the, your path to becoming a CFI, and you know, mine was similar. I already had a career. I was flying as a uh, um, a hobby, and uh, came across a great CFI who eventually did my spin training. But um, you know, he was an older gentleman, and and you know, I started asking him about you know this flight instructor thing, and he was just you know bubbling about it and said, "Oh, it was, it's a great retirement part-time job," and I thought, huh. Sounds like a cool gig to have a great retirement part-time job. I was too young to retire, but I thought, okay. And I started doing the same thing, was just collecting ratings until I got to the point of, of um, flying. 
And I agree with you. Um, for, for me, the experience was the same thing. Um, the day I took my CFI check ride, when I walked back into the flight school, the flight school director was standing at the counter of the, of the flight school and looked me in the eye and said, so did you pass? And I went, well, yeah. And he goes, here, fill this out and had the application, you know, my, my employment application waiting for me when I walked <laughs> in the door. And, and that's how quickly that I, was, I became an employed CFI. You know, um, I don't know that that happens to a lot of people or, or if that's the way that it goes. But, um, you know, you're right. That is that is the least path of resistance. I have seen other people, though, that, you know, specifically I have since, you know, I've been a CFI long enough that I can make other CFIs. And since I've got three or four of them under my belt, I've, I've known guys that were specifically going to get a job at a certain place and had already predetermined that as they were working towards their CFI. So it's never too early to start doing that, you know, to start having a plan in place. If you, I mean, it's a lot of work to get the CFI, so you've got a lot of time to have a thought like that of, you know, what am I going to do with this once I get it? You know, so I, I think that's an important point. So that, you know, what's really interesting, it sound from both of you, it sounds like this was kind of a, almost a serendipitous journey. It's, it's not, it wasn't totally specific. I'm going to be a CFI. It sounded like it was more of a challenge for both of you. And also what happened from there it opened this door to this new job. So, I mean, that's one of the, like you said, a great way to get started is get your CFI out of school and then turn back around and talk to the people uh, that actually uh, you're renting from or, or getting your, your CFI from. Uh, Bill, you know, I'm curious. I guess you, you should weigh in here as far as, you know, how you got started. Did you do the same thing? Did you go out there and just decide to become a CFI and turn around? Well, here's a job for you. Well, yes. Yep. I've been around long enough. I did it a couple times. So the first time was just like uh, those guys described as well, right? Um, got the CFI at a 141 school and turned right around and taught for them. Um, but then, you know, as you know, we talked about that before. I went rusty for a long time and came back to it again. Um, and came back and uh, uh, reinstated my CFI at a 141 school. And I still work with them a lot, but, um, you know, I don't work for them and didn't go back to the school. But you know, that's another good resource, even if you're not uh, back uh, working for the school that trained you or the big school, um, you know, a, a uh, advice for folks who are maybe striking out on their own is, you know, try to find somebody uh, that you knew from there or, you know, maybe a highly experienced instructor there, their chief instructor as a mentor, you know, that, that peer review and uh, someone that can help you with, even if it's not just the instructing stuff, how do I go about doing this? You know, if you're doing it on your own, it can be pretty scary to, you know, sign off that first person. Yeah. Speaking of scary, you know, I, I tell you, I was a little bit worried when I started instructing, um, that I was covering everything properly. One of the ways I actually got over that is just studying really hard and before every lesson. Uh, so that kind of helped me get over some of those initial fears of instructing. My fear was, am I imparting knowledge correctly and am I doing this properly? And I found to get over my fear, and this is just my experience, is that I would just study like crazy uh, before each lesson until I was able to do basically any lesson that was in the syllabus, almost from memory. Now, obviously, I wouldn't do that, but that's how I kind of got over that one fear. But I'm sure that, I mean, there's other fears that we all have in instructing. Uh, and I'm kind of curious what other people might think. Like, Russ, is there anything that you had some fears about when you started instructing? Oh, sure. <laughs> I think the most nervous I've ever been, more than any check ride, was the day I was driving to the airport for that first student of mine. Here I'm a brand-new instructor, zero-time, dual-given. Uh, it was a brand-new student. You know, It was going to be his first flight. And man, I, I don't think I got any sleep the night before, <laughs> you know, it was worse than a check ride. Uh, because I, in my mind, it's just, I, I need to teach him right the first time, you know, you, you know, primacy and I've just put all this pressure on myself. Right. And at the time I had, I had about a thousand hours of flight time. So I wasn't, you know, a, a real new pilot at the time. And, and I was, man, it was tough, <laughs> but, but, uh, and, but after that first, just, just that first, you know, icebreaker or whatever, you know, ripping a bandaid off kind of thing, you know, then you realize, Hey, maybe I can do this. You know, that this is not, this is not so bad. Um, you know, I, I do uh, be okay, <laughs> but you just need to get that first one. And that first lesson was 
nerve-wracking. I, I imagine it might have been a little bit different. You know, it's, it's probably a good idea to kind of break yourself in easier to this, you know, maybe by doing flight reviews or something like that. But, man, I was just thrown right in the fire. And, and fortunately, it, it let me kind of get over that anxiety pretty quick. Yeah, Tom, what do you got? Yeah, so uh, I agree that that very first one was, you know, when, when after I filled out that application and came back the next day, they said, okay, we got this guy who's showing up tomorrow morning. He's coming in from the Northwest. He's buying a plane here in Florida and he wants to finish out his private. And he's going to fly his plane home. And I'm like, okay. And I did. I got to spend three days with this guy, um, basically prepping him because he had all his hours and everything. I basically prepped him for a check ride. And lo and behold, he passed. And I can't tell you how nervous. I told him, I says, I want regular reports on your flight home. I was scared to death, you know, that, that something was going to happen to him and it would reflect on me. And I don't know. I was, I was just very fearful over that. But it made me concentrate really hard on the students that I was getting. Um, there was another flight instructor who was leaving to go to the airlines. And he basically gave me four students as soon as um, he left. And that was like the day after I got my my CFI. So I, I had four students immediately. So there was a lot to do and I, I was getting into it. And the problem was, is I got a little comfortable to start with. And um, one of these students, uh, we went out one day to go do some practicing and I was trying to, you know, stay off the controls as much as I can to let them learn. Um, and this guy, for whatever reason, we got to the top of a, a power on stall. And just as the pl airplane stalled, he kicked the left rudder and put us into a spin and scared the living but Jesus out of me. And, you know, it was we recovered, everything was fine. We went back to the airport, did some pattern work and stuff. But man, I tell you what, you want to talk about a healthy respect for um, keeping an eye on a student when you're sitting in that other seat and, and doing the right thing as a CFI, that definitely put it into me. And, and that was fear that, um, you know, I think is healthy fear at this point and that sticks with me. I, I, I always remember that. Yeah, it, it really can. I've, I've been at, in similar situations myself, as you just described, you know, a couple of times. Once it was two different people in two different airplanes on the same day trying to put me into a spin. But yeah, it, so so there can be some of that that anxiety and fear, definitely. Uh, but just getting over it is, if this is something you want to do, it, it's it's like anything. I imagine for, you know, the first time out on, on you know, on a football field or something, if you're, if you're you know, trying to, you know, be a football player or anything like that. First time up on up on a stage for a concert, you know, it's going to be a little bit scary, but you just got to do it. And eventually you kind of get used to it. Uh, absolutely. And you know, I, I, a little I'll, bit now. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I, I was going to say, I'll add this in there too, is that even though that I had those scary moments, like you just said, it's anything else that you do in life that's new. Um, I still wouldn't trade it for the world and, and still really, really enjoy being uh, a CFI and, and teaching people how to fly an airplane and just the rewards that come with it are, are just, they, they weigh out, weigh that, that incident. Absolutely. 100%. Uh, after you kind of get over that fear and you get yourself some experience, you know, and you've been maybe teaching to flight school, really what we've, we've got to move on if we want to kind of expand our, our, our client base, expand our knowledge, our skills, you know, maybe, I mean, Primary training is great, you know, initial flight training, you know, training for the private pilot certificate is great, but there's so much more than that. But in order to kind of get towards that, we really have to focus on establishing ourselves in, uh, you know, as a known quantity in the, in the local area, especially, you know, building up our, our skills, building a reputation. Um, and I don't know about, about you guys, but one of the ways that I've kind of done this is I was teaching the, the flights and just by doing that, my name kind of kind of got out there. You know, so I was because of my schedule and such. I was primarily working with, you know, people who were, you know, they they, they weren't in their twenties anymore. You know, they were a little older and they were interested in getting the pilots. And then go buy an airplane, right? So, well, who else are you going to call when you need some training in your new airplane? But the the guy who trained you to fly, right? That makes sense. So. So through the flight school, I was kind of able to build my own client list, my own contacts, and then word Bradley gets out like that. Uh, one of the most important things I did as far as building my skills, trying to really personalize the training I was providing. And, and this, I was helped by just you know, the fact that oh, I had one guy, he trained in, in a Cherokee, and then he went out and bought a, 
uh, Grumman Tiger, right? Well, I didn't have it. You know, there's no syllabus for, you know, canned syllabus you can download for transition from Cherokee into Grumman Tiger, you know? <laughs> so, so you kind of have to make up your own. And by doing that kind of thing just over and over again, you know, I have, you know, dozens of, of different, you know, training syllabuses and that kind of thing for different scenarios that I've encountered. And I think that was really important in my development professionally as just building the ability to put together a, uh, you know, some kind of a training scenario, you know, a training, you know, even if it's just a couple lesson syllabus, you know, for someone calls you, Hey, I need, you know, instrument refresher training in my, you know, airplane like this type, and this is the equipment in it. And, you know, that kind of thing. And there's not at that point, there's nothing that's really standardized anymore. So you have to kind of be able to, uh, develop your own training materials and methods. And the only way to do that is to do it and practice doing it and, and have, you know, uh, a reason to do it with, uh, with the clients that you have, uh, Carl, Carl. You got a comment. Yeah. You know, on, uh, you know, building your reputation, I'd like to add is that there's one really great way that you can build your reputation and actually do something for the flying community at the same time. And that's getting involved either as a lecturer or a volunteer with the FAA safety program and uh, the FAST team, uh, fasafety.gov. First get involved as someone that's in you know, um, observer of these different safety programs they have, but also start actually doing presentations. And uh, you never know where that'll take you. And that's actually how Tom and I uh, met is through the safety programs for about a year. Uh, I was running all the safety meetings out of the Tampa FISDO, and I was uh, in the Tampa Bay area, I should say. And I was having a blast, and I was getting so many students from it. So I would I would recommend a lot of folks maybe just kind of start doing that, is getting out there and trying to build their reputation and their skills by doing just one thing like that, going out in the safety program. Tom, I'm, I know that's one of the ways that, that we met. I mean, uh, can you add to that? And uh, I'm pretty sure, right, that was how we met, correct? It is how we met. And, you know, it, it was – it was part of what I was doing um, at the time when we met. I was a lowly private pilot working on my instrument, and I was so hungry for knowledge, and I kept searching and searching, and that's when I came across the, the, the FAA safety team and, and some of the seminars that were going on. And sure enough, Carl, I don't even remember. I, it was, I think it was a weather seminar was the first one that I ever saw you do. And when it was over, I mean, I just I, I sought you out and just came up to thank you for the thing and, and put my hand out, and we just started talking. And I mean... Your personality of liking to ask questions and stuff like that just got us to talking. Um, I'm not really the slouch at talking either, I guess. So, um, you know, we kind of we kind of huh? talked for a while and it just it, it went on from there. And I think I went to like another seminar and another one. And before you know it, you know, it was like, hey, anything I can do to help? And that was the question, you know, I mean, because I know that that's a way to get involved in different places. I mean, you ever want to get involved in an area where there's people at and think, and, and I'll use the term, you know, the good old boy system or something like that. If, if you think there's a club or a click or anything like that, the way to get into it is ask if you can help. And I guarantee you, somebody will say, yeah, I got something you can do. And bingo, you're in, you know, it's, it's, it's worked over and over again. I share that with as many people as I possibly can seek out where you want to be, offer your help and, and things will happen. Yeah. You know? yeah so, um, and, and, and along that line, you know, I mean, uh, Russ was talking about reputations. He's correct. You know, it, it, that's what's happened. After I started teaching, you know, I started um, getting a reputation as a, an instructor that could help people because I was, I, I was seeking out as much knowledge as I was willing to impart. And, you know, I started getting a lot of students that were, um, well, having difficulties with their ratings, you know. So um, a couple of them I would even venture to say that they were the problem children, you know, the ones that just nobody else, no other instructor could really get through to them. And, and those were the people that would seek me out and, and I would spend a lot of time with because I had the ability to explain things on a level to where they could get it done, you know, and um, it worked. And, you know, when you help one person like that, three more will come in this place. And when they, those three get helped, seven more will come in their place. And it just, it got overwhelming to a point where I had to start turning people away. 
you know, and um, but it, it does, it, it works that way is that if you love what you're doing and, and you're going in and doing it, you'll, you'll, you build it, they'll come, I guess is what it comes down to. It, it really does, Tom, and, and you, you pretty much took almost what I wanted to say. Uh, I guess I'd add to that, the, the most important customer or client or whatever student whatever term you want the most important one is the one you have right that moment you know the, the one right there if you focus on them and then then you'll probably end up with a good reputation right <laughs> because you know that person's going to realize hey this person this, i'm important to this instructor they're they're tending to my needs you know they're they're on time you know they're the instructor's preparing for the lesson you know they're, they're not ignoring me and just what you said tom was it that one person has a good experience with you. Well, they tell their friends, you know, and, and, and it just, it blooms from there. And it's fantastic to see it happen. And, you know, it, it kind of sounds trite and a little bit, uh, a little bit silly, but, but it's absolutely true. You know, the, you know, focus on and take care of the person that you're dealing with right now and the rest will take care of itself. Go ahead. Indeed. Carl. Indeed. Oh, yeah. So Russ, you know, we we're talking about building your skills and reputation and, um, one of the things that we'd, we'd be remiss not to say is this is all part of that networking. And uh, Tom, by saying, hey, just reach out and say hi and, and talk to people, uh, that is a very impart, important part of this in establishing yourself, uh, both for your skills and your reputation. Uh, it gives that reputation that you're approachable, but it also enables you to build that network, which is so important. But once you've built that reputation, you've built those skills, one of the things that I found was difficult because I just got back into it uh, not long ago is instructing and setting my pay rates. And uh, and there's many different types of rates. And, and so, Russ, I know you've got a, a lot of experience in this right now. Um, how is it that you went about like setting your rates? Well, you're right, Carl. That is really tricky because on the one hand, especially as a new instructor, you really don't know what you're worth, right? What is someone willing to pay for me? Why should they pay that for me? Yeah, I'm, I'm new. Uh, what I did was, I thought it was pretty straightforward. You know, I had been teaching at the flight school and I knew what they charged the, uh, you know, the, you know, their, uh, students, you know, I know what I got paid, which is obviously less, but I know what they charged. Well, that kind of gave me the idea that, well, the market can bear that number. You know, if it's, you know, if the flight school is charging people $40 an hour or whatever, 50 or 60, whatever the number is, well, clearly the market can bear that. And so when I kind of went off on my own from the flight school, I, I started at that number. Okay. And I figured, well, that's probably reasonable. I really had nothing else. You know, I, I asked some other people what they're charging, but they were also much more experienced instructors than I was at the time. So I, I, I wasn't sure if I could, you know, get away with that or not, <laughs> you know, but, uh, and then, of course, as as I become more experienced, I have increased my my rate a couple of times, and you know, I'm I'm pretty happy with where it is now. And it appears that that other people are pretty happy because I keep getting business, right? <laughs> that that's the real sign, isn't it? But but it is a, it definitely a tricky uh, um, thing to do. And I know you have a, a couple other items we want to talk about as far as how do we charge. But yeah, any other comments about setting your pay, Tom or Bill or you, Carl. Well, I'll go. Um, I, I agree with you. What you what you said. You know, I mean, I, I started out. I knew what the flight school was was um, charging for instructional rate. I knew what I was making out of that, which was about forty five percent of what the school got. You know, so and and I just didn't know any better. So it was over time that I started negotiating a higher price, even with the with the flight school. Saying, okay, you know, um, I know what you're getting. I know what you're paying me. It's not fair. Let's let's see if we can't sharpen that pencil a little bit. And they did because you know they realized that I was providing a, a, a good service and and that I was worth it to them. So we negotiated that out, and I became happy with it for a while. But then um, when I left the flight school and went out as an independent, um, it became that that question came back up again. It's like so. I get, I, I get phone calls all the time. Hey, I need to do a flight review. Hey, I'd like, I got an IPC I need to get done. Hey, I've been working on this rating. I need some help. You know, can you help me out? And so those things, um, you know, uh, all of a sudden it's like, oh, and by the way, what are you going to charge me? And it's like, all of a sudden I'm fumbling and bumbling trying to think, oh yeah, what should I charge here? You know, and, and what am I worth? So it is a consideration, but you know, at the end of the day, 
there are some industry standards and, and you know, um, as a flight instructor, you, you, you got to get to that point where you're not afraid to charge somebody for what it is that you're worth and what your time is worth, you know. Um, and I, too, I, I, I've toiled with it over and over again, and I've never had anybody balk at it. I mean, when I've told them what my price was, they're, they're like, okay, that's fine, let's go. And, and I keep thinking, okay, maybe I should push this sometime to see if I can get somebody to say, oh, hell no, I'm not paying you that much. But I, I don't know that I'm willing to do that because I'm happy with the way that it's unfolding now because I enjoy what I do and I enjoy the flying. And at the end of the day, it is what it is. But yeah, it, it's, a, it's an important consideration. Yeah, I would also add to that, uh, Tom, that's great discussion uh, that you know, you, you went through a lot of training to become a flight instructor, you know, and a lot of work and, and flight training and a lot of expense. So you, you definitely don't want to, uh, you, know, you, you should, you well, should I'm, be I'm, properly compensated, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm not talking to you specifically. I mean, as a flight instructor, you should be well, as a properly instructor, compensated. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, don't, you know, don't, don't give things away for free. I mean, there's a difference between, you know, giving things away for free or like flying with a friend. I mean, that's kind of a different situation, but you know, it, then, you know, charge what you're worth and figure out what you're worth and charge what you're worth. Um, I would probably add in there that, you know, undercutting your competition, you know, probably would bring bad blood potentially. I mean, that is a, I guess a common, you know, marketing technique for everything from gas stations to Walmart and everything else. But you know, you, it, it, aviation is a small world, so you know that could have some backlash. You definitely want to be careful with that, but but charge what you're worth. But yeah, it, it also de it also depends. There, there's also a um, a measure of it for me in what I'm flying. See, um, I was a CSIP for a while, and as a CSIP, sure. you know, right. if you go through Cirrus, they're you know they have a day rate that they charge, and it's it's pretty steep, you know, and you break that down into what you know, an hourly rate would come out for an instructor. I mean, so if I'm teaching a Cirrus, it's different than I'm te teaching an Cessna or a Piper. If I'm teaching multi-engine, it's different, you know. Um, the, we even, the flight school I had even had a, uh, a rate for a technically advanced aircraft. You know, it was a different rate than it was for their normal aircraft. So there, there are more considerations than just who you are and what you're doing. It's also the amount of ratings you got and what you can do with them. So I think they all factor in. Yeah, Russ, one of the things I'd like to comment on is we're talking about pay rates and this discussion came up today at the flight school is pre and post flight. What do you charge and how do you charge that? And I think that, uh, there was some very, there was quite the passionate discussion, I guess is the best way to say it going on. Um, uh, I know, uh, that when I'm flying and I'm working as an independent instructor, I'm working at a flight school, uh, I definitely charge pre and post flight depending on how much time I'm actually doing the pre and post flight. In other words, how much ground I'm doing prior to the lesson, how much I'm doing after the lesson. But one of the things, if you're working for a flight school, you have to ask them uh, what you need to do. Uh, but a lot of folks that are working, say, in the university environment, uh, they don't see that pre and post flight. But I will say this. Uh, a lot of folks will come to you and tell you, hey, you know, you're just here to build time. You shouldn't be charging me for the ground. Uh, my answer to that is, you know, this is I'm an instructor, whether I'm in the airplane or not. Uh, so I'm teaching you how to fly an airplane. It's more than just being in the airplane. So that's why I charge the I charge the same amount no matter what it is, ground or flight. But I am cognizant of one thing. Um, if I'm not actually imparting knowledge or helping you in some way, I'm not charging you. So for instance, if you come and show up for my lesson and I say to you that it's a two hour lesson, Hey, I have to take this phone call. Uh, do you mind going out and getting anything ready for the, with the airplane? I take a phone call for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I am not going to charge for that time. Uh, I kind of feel strongly about that, but I also feel strongly about when I am imparting knowledge and I'm working with you that, that I will get paid. I'd love to hear what you guys say, because, uh, I know this was a very passionate discussion today we had at the flight school. So, uh, you know, Tom, do you, how do you charge? Yeah, I charge the same way, whether it's, you know, whether it's on, in flight or on the ground, but I agree with you wholeheartedly that it's, it's time that I'm spending with the student learning. Um, you know, I, I, I got all the ratings, you know, it's CFI, double I, MEI, and I also hold an AGI. So, you know, the advanced ground instructor. So it's, it's, you know, I use those things to help somebody learn how to fly. 
So, and uh, I will tell them, you know, it's like before we get in the plane, it's like, all right, what do you think? That was uh, 40 minutes on the ground. So we'll call that, you know, 0.7. How's that? Okay, sounds good. And, and they already know what it, what it is I'm going to charge them. I'm not trying to bully them into anything. So, like, if, if somebody books a two-hour lesson with me and we only spend, you know, 20 minutes before the flight, we fly for 40 minutes, we spend another 15 minutes afterwards. I mean, quick math in my head, what does that come out to, like, about a one-point three or something like that, you know, that's all I'll charge them for. You know, I, I don't charge them the 2.0 just because that's what they had booked on the calendar. It's the time that I actually spent instructing them, you know, and you know, there, there's times where I've done ground school. I've had some students that it's very hard to keep them focused, you know, and it's like, you know, yeah, um, this is how we track to a VOR and all of a sudden we're talking about a purse that his wife bought, you know, and I don't, I don't know how that happens, but it does. And all of a sudden it's like, get focused back in and let's talk about the VOR. So, there's sometimes where chit chat and conversation goes on that I won't charge for either, it, it, unless they are bad about it. Um, the one thing I do charge for that I will will tell you this is that when I had regularly scheduled students, um, if they show up late, that was one thing that I just could not abide by because you know my time means something, and if you know I had a student who was consistently showing up 15, 20 minutes, a half hour late, and he would start backing up my schedule for the rest of the day. And I finally made a rule of my own that um, I would allow a student to come in late once. I would have the discussion with them and say, if you do it again, I am going to charge you for it. And, and that's, that was my policy, and, and I still stick to that today. And I'll pass. So what about cancellations? I mean, I know uh, personally what I do is they always get one cancellation, you know, no-show, I guess is a better way to say it, not cancellation. Yep, and, um, and same policy. I, I, after the first cancellation, it depends on how far in advance that they did it. I mean, the, the flight school had a, um, oh, I think it was at least a two-hour cancellation policy. If you, if you didn't uh, cancel within two hours of the flight, um, you were charged full price anyway, so... Um, but, um, my own personal one is, is like, I'll, I'll, you know, all right, you know, you can't, got stuck up in a tree. That's fine. We'll cancel for today. You know, that wasn't weather related. It wasn't anything that, that would have canceled us anyway. Um, if it happens again, um, there will be a charge and I have that conversation with them. I don't, I don't just do it. I, I make sure that they understand what's going to go on with it. So Tom, another thing is that, and you kind of taught me this, and you're probably more savvy at this than I am, is uh, so now you finish this lesson, how did you get paid? And I'd like other people to weigh in on this. How how do you go about that process? How do I get paid? Yeah, how does that work? Like physically, how do you get paid? So um, it, it, it's, um, you know, I, I love the electronic age because, um, you know, no longer does anybody have to show up with their... Um, checkbook or a wad of cash in their pocket. We have all sorts of happy apps now called Venmo and uh, Cash App and um, PayPal and oh my God, there's like there's so many different ways to transfer funds electronically these days that it's it's pretty hard not to get paid, you know. And I try to make those arrangements beforehand as well, and and I let people know that here's what I accept, and and I'll accept just about any one of the things I just mentioned, you know. It's and um, but it's pretty. You know, I, I, I do expect payment at the time of service, and, and that's that's uh, how it works. Yeah, I'm, I'm just like Tom. I mean, uh, uh, cash works great. I'll take a check, credit card, uh, Venmo, you know, uh, whatever they want, pretty much. Uh, you, you have to. I mean, if, if you want to do business, it really helps to be able to accept however they want to pay. You know, I, I, I sometimes have struggle understanding people that oh, I only take, you know, cash or check. Well, man, then you're missing out on some of the, uh, some of the market there that, you know, I, you know, some of my guys, they, they don't carry cash anymore. They certainly don't carry checks anymore. You know? Uh, so it's gotta be credit card or Venmo or one of the other things. Um, I've, you know, I often have people that will, that will pay up front. you know, they'll, you know, give, well, I'm doing multi-engine training, so it's more expensive, you know, but, uh, you know, they'll, they'll write me a, you know, a check or something like that for, you know, several lessons worth. And I'll just kind of work off the, uh, work off their balance and tell them when they're out of money that I don't mind doing that, of course. Um, but the one thing that does kind of require is you to have a good reputation and such and a good working relationship with them. Right. Cause no one's just going to write a few thousand dollar check to some dude you know, at the airport. Uh, I think, uh, one thing we've, we've kind of been talking a lot about is, 
it's kind of flight school uh, versus independent. And uh, I have primarily been an independent instructor ever since I kind of left the flight school. And that would have been, I don't know, five or six years ago. Uh, for me, that's, that's absolutely the best choice. Uh, the type of, uh, flight instruction that I like to do and the, um, you know, the, the type of clientele that I have and that I've built up really lends itself well towards that. Uh, until I started this whole multi-engine thing, I did not have an aircraft or really access to an aircraft. It was entirely in the owner's aircraft, which le- which has a whole different set of, of considerations. You know, some are good, like, um, you know, the, the aircraft always is always available, you know, some are bad. Well, when it breaks, it, there is not a spare airplane to jump into, you know, uh, so, you know, generally is it's good that the person knows their airplane. Sometimes it's not so good because they have, you know, all their little, ah, I've been doing it this way for, you know, 20 years. I've owned this bonanza and I always do something this way. And, you know, trying to break some habits can be tough, but for me being independent is just fantastic because I am in all kinds of different airplanes, uh, you know, whatever the owner brings is, is what I'm in. So my experience base has really uh, grown as a result of that. Uh, for other people, the flight school may be, may be a better choice too. I mean, what I don't have as an independent instructor is any other CFI support. I mean, I have, I have friends and stuff that I can talk to certainly, but nothing within, you know, within my one person flight school, you know, if, if I can't make it well, the person doesn't fly, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, I don't have all the the resources that you would have with, with a flight school. Uh, how about, uh, Tom, it sounds like you, you kind of are very similar to me, I'd say. Yeah. Um, I, I actually started out in the flight school. Like I said, they hired me as soon as I got my CFI. Um, it was a part 141 school. So I was a uh, 141, um, pilot, uh, instructor pilot to start with. Um, I didn't get my double I until a year after my, um, initial CFI, um, in that time, my flight school got bought out by another flight school. Um, they subsequently, I, I, I got my double I, um, started teaching the 141 there, and then they promoted me to uh, an assistant chief position in the 141 um, doing the uh, instrument. So I was a instrument uh, check airman, I guess, and, and you know the assistant chief for that part of the, the instruction. Um, was all really, really good experience. And when I left the flight school and now that I'm doing stuff independent, you know, no happy titles that go with it, but I agree with you. The, the differences are, you know, the amount, the different types of airplanes that I get to fly, the different types of clientele that I get. Um, and, you know, I, I will say this, the, the flight school was a very um, busy place to, um, you know, I was flying constantly. I was, I was going to work every day and it was in one plane and out of another. It wasn't uncommon for me to be, you know, to do a day of flying and be in five to six different aircraft throughout the entire day. And man, I tell you what, after pre-flighting six different aircraft all day long and trying to wrap your head around all the different avionics and different performance and, and you know, and then these would be all different levels of students as well. They'd be, you know, primary students, instrument students. I had commercial students, I had CFI students, and it, it got really, really, um, taxing there for a little while. Um, I, I don't begrudge the experience because it, it did. It gave me a lot of experience, but, um, you know, working for a flight school can be busy if it's a good flight school, you know, so that, there's that as well. Whereas being an independent, I set my own schedule. I work when I want to. And, and, you know, if it starts getting a little bit too, I don't overbook myself. So I don't get that crazy anymore. You know, I'm not going to do it. I don't really aspire to do days where I'm going to be in five different aircraft. Five different aircraft in a day kind of sounds fun and challenging, but uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it can be a little bit uh, stressful there. But uh, yeah, flight schools and independence is is just two different things you have to think about. One thing I will add to that is uh, I've always wanted to do independent, and uh, unfortunately, sometimes you just have to do it. You have to uh, go work for the flight school because it has to do with insurance a lot of times. It's like, yeah, we can't take you as an independent, that type of thing. Uh, but uh, Bill, did you have a, you actually, I think, are working with a flight school or as an independent instructor through the flight school? I can't remember. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm in pretty much the same boat, um, independent. And uh, although there's, you know, where I'm at, there's I don't know, four flight schools on field and, and know the guys. And yeah, and that's, uh, you know, for talking to new CFIs or people who want to get into it, um, what uh, what your goals might be if you're if you're building time, the flight school sure is the way to go. Like uh, you know, Tom mentioned, you're in and out and in and out. Um, 
but that's what you're doing. You're in and out, in and out, and it might not be a lot of different airplanes. It might be in and out and in and out of the same Cessna 172 all day long. But you're going to meet. You're going to build up a lot of time, and if that's your goal, that's it. And you know, as independent, I I don't have any problem with if somebody wants to spend two hours on the ground going through all the fine points of their POH of their airplane. I can do that. And that's something I could do as an independent that you're probably not going to be able to do, you know, at least in a big 141 school or, you know, a busy 141 school, it's just not going to be very, uh, very practical. And uh, yeah, same thing. We, you know, we're, you're going to see as an independent, a lot of different kinds of airplanes. I'm in the same boat. I'm in uh, a lot of very interesting, different kinds of airplanes with folks. Um, But, uh, and again, um, in the same boat as Russ, I've got a real job too, a day job. So we're not, uh, you're not there all day um, able to hop in and out. So, some of that's just what you're looking for as a as a CFI. Are you a career changer, a new person starting out? Uh, although I'll say I I probably wouldn't mind going under the umbrella of a school uh, just to get that um, you know get that fresh experience back. I think the last time I worked for a Part 141 school, it was a it was a different century. So. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. No, I literally was a different century. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I wanted to add in there. This kind of goes along with something that Tom was saying. A little bit of you too, Bill. Was that the you know as an independent the you, you know, when you're at the flight school you're just getting fed these students often and you, know, you can fly all day long as much as you want. And in some cases, if you're with a busy enough school, I mean, I I know guys out at the the local airport that I'm at a lot. They some of these guys, man, they're they're flying. You know, like like Tom was saying, you know, four or five flights a day, which is great if you're trying to build time. You know, uh, if that's not your concern, then you know maybe that's not what you want. Uh, in my case, as as an independent, you know, I, I kind of get to set my own schedule, like Tom said. This also does carry the risks with it, though. Of well, I don't have anybody to fly with. <laughs> you know, I got I got to go do go out and uh, do some more marketing and, uh, you know, see if, see who else might want to fly with me, you know, because I don't have anything this week or something like that. So that isn't always as much of a problem in a flight school environment. I mean, sometimes it can be granted. There are, there are flight schools that are, that are slower than others. We're acting as if they're all, you know, you know, have a hundred students and three instructors or something, but you know, that's certainly not the case. Uh, but the other thing not to, you know, kind of, you know, really stress how much I like being an independent instructor, although I think I've done that enough already is that uh, flying in owner's airplanes is really um, liberating sometimes. When you're flying for a flight school and you know that that person's paying you $150 an hour for for that Cherokee, uh, the way you approach the training, uh, even if you're trying to train someone on everything they might possibly need to know for private or instrument or or whatever, you always have in the back of your mind that that time constraints and, hey, you know, I, I'd love to go do this other flight, but you know, and that's going to cost a guy another 500 bucks, <laughs> that kind of thing. They're not, they're never going to go for it. When you're flying in an owner's airplane, of course, generally the owners want to fly, you know, they, and it's really just, you know, the marginal cost of the uh, flight is the gas for it really. Uh, so yeah, you know, I've gone on some, some training flights that are way longer and more interesting than I ever went on in a flight school. I mean, from here in Oklahoma city, uh, you know, Dallas, the whole Dallas area is wonderful to go to for instrument training. I mean, you get to fly arrival routings and all the vectors and all this kind of stuff. But in a standard training airplane, that's a long trip. I mean, you know, it, it's we're talking minimum three-hour round trip just to get down there and come back, let alone do anything else. Uh, but if you're flying in a, say, a Bonanza or something, man, that's uh, that's pretty enjoyable. You go down there, have some have some lunch or dinner, you know, you can fly some departure procedures, the whole thing. So you can do a lot of, a lot of different things in an owner flown airplane than, uh, than maybe you probably wouldn't do in a flight school airplane, which to me is a great benefit. But, uh, uh, Carl, want to wrap this up? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You said it's amazing as an independent, some of the things that you get to do, but even in a flight school, sometimes they grab an instructor and say, Hey, let's, you know, let's go. Can you fly this for me? Uh, just one thing there, just be careful what, what kind of agreements you sign with the flight school and see if you can actually do something independently. Uh, but you know, this is an awesome discussion and I think what we need to do is, uh, continue this. And this actually is a two part series should mention that in the beginning. Uh, we have a whole second 
part to this. We're going to talk about a lot of other things like insurance, the type of students, uh, different marketing techniques and uh, creating your, your niche and that type of thing, how to keep current as a CFI, etc. cetera. Uh, but this is, was an awesome, awesome, uh, you know, discussion here. Uh, but we will add to this uh, on the next episode, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit more about being an independent instructor and also about uh, working for a flight school, delve into certain things like insurance and how you get paid and those type of things uh, in the next episode, along with all those other things I discussed. And I'm really happy that uh, Russ brought this up because I think uh, one of the things that people that are passionate about flying, they want to share that passion and they wind up becoming flight instructors because they want to share that passion and and what better way to promote general aviation than to have more flight instructors out there and promoting the world in aviation i just love it uh but uh anyway well uh in the next episode we'll start with part two about uh, how you can have uh, be a, a successful flight instructor and have a successful flight instructing business our picks of the week we always come up with some really interesting picks of the week, and uh, I do want to uh, let people know that if they go to stuckmikeavcast.com and go to picks of the week, you can actually see some of our past picks of the week. Uh, so please go visit those. It actually helps the podcast a lot. And uh, also, if you really appreciate this podcast, uh, consider becoming a patron of it. It's easy. You can go click on patron uh, on the right side there at stuckmikeavcast.com and help us out there. Uh, but let's move into the picks of the week. My pick of the week, actually, is uh, it's called SportAviationShowcase.com. It's the Deland Sport Aviation Showcase, and what an incredible event. This is 2021, and they're going to have actually two events this year. If you're listening to this before January 30th of 2021, we will actually be there. Stuck Mike Avcast will be there uh, doing some recordings, and we'll be posting them out on the Internet and also on Deland's Facebook page. It's open from 9 to 2 p.m. on January 30th. This is an additional event that they're doing partnering with Tesla. And you're actually going to, it's the fly-in and test drive event uh, for posted by Tesla and sponsored by Tesla. What a wonderful opportunity to get yourself inside a Tesla, incredible technology, and maybe check out some of the light sport aircraft that are out there. One of the great things to do, possibly as a flight instructor, is get involved in the sport, a light sport uh, aviation community. And this is a great way to do that. We're going to talk about that, actually, in the next episode. So, again, sportaviationshowcase.com is my pick of the week, and we hope Hope to see you there, and if we don't see you there, check out some of our videos and some of the audio uh, interviews that we have after that. Again, that's on uh, January 30th of 2021, and I'd be remiss not to say that the actual showcase, the regular one, is coming up, and that's going to be in November. Put it on your calendars, November 11th through 13th of this year. So that's my pick of the week. Tom, what is your pick of the week? Yeah, thanks, Carl. So, um, you know, in preparation for tonight, as it turns out, um, this week as we're recording this, um, you know, I am working on my FERC. Um, it's going to be part of our topic in part two of recurrency. But um, as I was working on this thing, um, as it turns out, I am using um, AOPA for their um, their uh, their flight instructor refresher course, and uh, I've been diligently working on that because my flight instructor is up for renewal at the end of February. Anyway, um, as I was going through this thing, I started just flipping through. Um, AOPA's resources for CFIs, and it's just an incredible amount of information. So since we were on the CFI topic tonight, I just thought it would make a great pick of the week to go in there and, you know, just digging in. So the link that I got in here brings you to the um, uh, AOPA's training and safety, their advanced training into the CFI page. And I mean, even for, you know, if, even if you're not a CFI, this is just really outstanding information. There's all sorts of really cool stuff in here that, you know, and it's geared more towards general aviation. So, I mean, it's really good information out there. So as a CFI, um, you know, I'm, I'm putting it out there like, you know, if, if you don't do anything else this week and, and you want to learn something new, go check this page out and just go uh, start digging through here and see what you can find. I'm sure if, if you like flying, you'll find something interesting here. And that's it. Awesome. Thanks, Tom, for that pick of the week. It's a, a great program. I've gone through it, and I really, really enjoyed it. So hats off to AOPA. Okay, our next pick of the week is actually from Russ. Russ, uh, let me guess. It might be a book. Carl, do you know how many books I've read since the last time <laughs> I gave a pick of the week on this show? It's been a, quite a few. Uh, so it was actually a, a, a hard choice. But uh, 
But I did pick one, and the title is Spaceman, an astronaut's unlikely journey to unlock the secrets of the universe, and it's an autobiography by Mike Massimino, I hope I pronounced his last name correctly, who was a uh, NASA astronaut from 1996 until 2014. He flew in space twice, uh, and one of his main functions was repairing the Hubble Space Telescope. So he's actually, you know, kind of... uh, very unique in that in that respect because not a whole lot of people have worked on the Hubble Space Telescope. But uh, so it was a fascinating story about how he got into NASA and uh, you know became an astronaut and and had a lot of challenges. I mean, I think really what I liked most about this book was it was very inspirational. I mean, he he grew up in uh, you know in New York and you know very working class family, but you know he. I think he didn't really do real well in school until he kind of found something that re- he really wanted to do, and he had a focus and in life, and and that that encouraged him to, to push himself, and I mean, he ultimately became an astronaut, which is you know pretty good. So uh, yeah, obviously he was able to overcome some challenges and some difficulties, and and uh, by you know keeping by staying motivated and keeping his uh, his focus on his goal, he was able to succeed, and I thought it was a real. Real good story there. Uh, I highly recommended, and also a lot, a lot of good stuff about space and what it would be like to, you know, do a repair a telescope in orbit, which sounds pretty challenging to me. So, uh, yeah, pretty good book. I definitely enjoyed it, and of course, we'll have a link in the show notes. Awesome, thanks, Russ. Uh, as a matter of fact, he's actually been on one of my favorite shows. That's a Big Bang Theory, uh, and yes, he yes he has. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> on there. Yeah. What a what a cool guy, I tell you. What a, what a great book. Well, thanks for that, Russ. And again, yeah, we'll have uh, links in the show notes. Uh, next pick of the week, Bill. What is your pick of the week? Oh, mine is a website. It's called Code7700.com, and you'd think maybe they're a bunch of emergencies or something like that and not really it's uh this is a uh, i think it's a couple three uh, corporate pilots um uh, the the main guy ex-air force type they fly gulf streams but this uh this website it goes along with that theme of a real deep dive and they've got a bunch of different sections in there they they, they say learning never stops and these um they, they'll go into very deep dives into how procedures are put together, different uh, techniques for, um, you know, flying different uh, different aircraft and, and exactly how to um, deal with abnormal situations. I mean, if you wanted to get really down into the weeds as to what exactly, how GPS measures sea level, they've got that kind of thing in there, too. So real deep dive, great place to get some resources uh, for you, Code 7700. Dot com. That's the numbers. So C-O-D-E 7700.com. Awesome, Bill. That's a great pick of the week. I appreciate that. And again, all these picks of the week will be in the show notes, links to it. Uh, and we appreciate you actually going to the show notes and looking at the other picks of the week we have on the website. Uh, the links there uh, actually uh, contribute a little bit, some of them, uh, to the podcast. And we really appreciate your help there. Uh, also, if you get a chance, go to stuckmikeavcast.com if you want to help the podcast out and want to hear more content like this. Consider becoming a patron. Every dollar that we raise through the Patreon account, we actually put one dollar towards a coupon so someone can get a scholarship guide. So not only are you helping the podcast, you're helping somebody so they can get a scholarship possibly to become a CFI or get some other ratings. Uh, also, another shout out to PlainEnglishSim.com. Thanks for, so much for being a sponsor. That is that app-based aviation radio simulator and it's a really easy way to gain radio proficiency, both VFR and IFR. And you know, if you use the coupon code uh, at Plain English Sim, you may get a free one-year access to the Scholarships Guide online. It's actually updated once a month, and it's over $120 million of scholarships out there. Just click on the Scholarships tab at the top. Well, folks, we really appreciate your listening this evening and also want to say Happy New Year again. And don't forget part two. We're going to talk a little bit more about becoming a successful flight instructor and having a successful flight instructor business. But one of the things I want you to challenge is go, challenge you to do is go back and look at the show notes. And if you're considering becoming a CFI, you're a CFI right now, I, I want you to go out there and maybe you know think about some of those things that you could do to become a better CFI and write us. Uh, write us, a, click on contact, a stuck 
mikemikegavcast.com. Let us know what you think about things like charging for ground school, pre, post flight, whatever it may be. We'd love to hear from you. Well, again, we appreciate your listening. We'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying out there. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.